Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. A couple thoughts to begin with. My first thought is the number one threat to marriage is marriage itself. Without marriage, there's no divorce. So that's the old saying. The number one cause of divorce is marriage. But getting uh, back to a biblical view, if we really stopped and tried to think about all the things that are out there that are threats to marriage, we have an endless list. And I want to build our study off of the idea that uh, that we see on your screen here. In Psalms 127 in verse 1, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, when we're looking at this, I want us to understand that when it comes to the idea of threats in marriage, that there's a lot of different things out there that could be considered a threat. And if we tried to list them all, I don't know that any of us, if we had a whole year, could come up with a complete list of everything out there that's a threat to marriage. In fact, in some ways, you could even argue that uh, marriage has been under attack from the very beginning. I want us to go back and notice a passage here in Genesis, the third chapter. You remember there that uh, Adam and Eve uh, faced a temptation from the devil. And as we look there in Genesis chapter 3, it almost kind of gives this idea that Eve was all by herself. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Yea, hath God said, you should not eat of every tree of the garden. And as you continue to read in verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, there's this conversation that goes on, and it's just between the serpent and Eve, and it almost gives you this picture that she's there all by herself. But notice what happens in verse 6 once the conversation is completed. The Bible says, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You know, it doesn't tell us in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, 5 where Adam was at, but when we get down to verse 6, we find out that Adam was there, that he was with her, and he was silent through all this. And I want to tell you, I believe that what Satan was doing here wasn't just tempting man in general, but was taking an attack at the very foundation of the relationships that God first ordained, that relationship between husband and wife. And you see that pattern repeated over and over throughout history. Satan knew that if he brought a uh, discomfort and could wreak havoc to that race base relationship of husband and wife, it would have terrible consequences for all of humanity. And isn't that what we see today, even in nations that rise and fall? When the family unit becomes compromised, when the home life is destroyed, crime begins to increase, communities begin to fall apart, and the, the society will turn more and more and more wicked, and eventually the, the society or the nation will collapse in on itself. I believe that's the subtlety of Satan here to know that if he can destroy the first relationship that God created between God and man and then secondly between a husband and wife, that it's going to wreak havoc and chaos throughout the world. But God doesn't leave us without hope in all of this. The Bible tells us that God builds the house. In other words, uh, unless the Lord build the house, they that build it labor in vain. The idea being that God didn't leave us hopeless without any re uh, recourse against this attack but rather he's given us a blueprint, a plan of how we can have the marriage, the family life that God desires for us. But what does it really mean unless the Lord build the house? Does that mean that, you know, if I and my wife just love God enough that he'll do all the work and somehow magically we'll have this marriage that is just perfect and beautiful in every way and it all boils down to, to me just loving Jesus enough? Well, certainly that's not what that passage means. 
Well, does it mean the opposite, that I have to work really, really hard and try to do everything perfectly and my wife has to do that? And if we work just hard enough that God will sprinkle in some blessings to give us a good marriage. And I, I don't think that's either of those ideas or extremes is the reality. I believe what you see in this passage is that God has given a blueprint. God has given a plan down to the very details of how to have a marriage that is a godly marriage, a marriage that uh, honors him and glorifies him. And in that marriage, that when we follow those details, those plans of that blueprint, that God's design is that we'll naturally be blessed to have a marriage that the Lord builds. It's not all God. It's not all us. It's a combination. Notice in... Uh, the, the Bible here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul talks about this similar idea when he says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What Paul is saying here is, listen, I work to, to be transformed. What I am today is because of God's grace. But it wasn't just God's grace. I labored. I worked very hard. I did the things God called me to do, but it wasn't just me and my abilities, but it was the grace of God which was in me. And so as we draw close to God, as each of us individually surrender ourselves more fully to God and strive to become what he's called us to be, he equips us and gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do. Notice again here in Philippians, the second chapter in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The idea is simple that it's God at work in you and I, and it's not just you and me uh, doing these things by ourselves, but God laboring in us, striving uh, when we surrender and submit ourselves to him. So if that's a 5,000, if you will, or 50,000 over, foot overview of God's design for marriage, what then are the threats to that marriage? And Instead of trying to list all these different threats, I want to summarize it real simply and say I think there's just one threat to marriage that's expressed, or one threat to God's design of marriage that's expressed in a myriad of different ways. And that one threat can be summed up simply by this, listening to the wrong designer. If it's God that designed marriage, if it's God that laid the blueprints for what is a godly marriage, the only way we can destroy that or the threat to that is by refusing to listen to his design plans and instead listen to someone else. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. Instead of trying to just identify what those threats individually are, to summarize it by saying when we listen to any other designer, when we listen to any other builder of marriage other than God, then that's a threat to that marriage because it's going to lead us in a whole lot of different ways. Being a little bit more specific, I want to say there's basically, uh, to understand this one threat that, it comes about when you listen to the wrong uh, designer that the idea is that there's these different voices. And one of the voices that are out there that we can listen to is the voice of our fellow man. When we begin to listen to that voice instead of God, it's going to cause problems. And under this idea of listening to the voice of our fellow man, I want to be a little bit more specific. There's two different types of voices. There's one that I'm going to call the voice of the world that speaks of things of this world. And by this group, I have in mind both those that reject God and want nothing to do with God. The Bible says of them, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. So there's these individuals 
are groups of people that are trying to redefine what marriage is, trying to redefine roles in marriage and all sorts of things, that when we listen to them, that's going to be against the design that God has set forth, and it's going to destroy it. When the world says, hey, listen, you don't have to honor the role that God set for you as husbands. You don't need to lead your family. That's listening to the wrong voice. When the world says to women, hey, listen, you need to, to be a leader in your home. You need to, to not submit. You need to take control and all those things that God doesn't tell you to do. And, and we listen to that voice. That's a threat to the marriage design that God has set forth. And so not just that extreme version of it, but also there's a more subtle version of the voice of the world. This what I would call the pop culture uh, version, voice of the world that's a little bit more subtle. And in that category, I have in mind things like uh, Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Drew, Dr. Phil, uh, GQ, Cosmo, all these things that are out there now. And some of those, you can listen to them, and it's very clear that they have an anti-God bias. But a lot of times in pop culture, they'll sprinkle in just enough biblical principles that they try to tie with this worldly wisdom that it makes it sound like, oh, well, maybe there's something here I should listen to. And that makes it very deadly and very deceitful for you and I, and we need to be careful of that. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because the, the, the group that we're talking to here today is people that have tried to commit themselves to the Lord. And so the voice of this world doesn't really draw them, but we need to be careful that we're not listening to it. But there's a more dangerous voice of our fellow man that I think sometimes has an impact in our marriage that we're not always aware of. And that would be what I call the voice of the well-intentioned. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, the Bible says, There's a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, there's this idea of individuals out there who have the best intention. Oops. Pardon me. There are this idea of individuals out there that have a really great intention, and they don't intend to purposely deceive or lead people astray. And I have in mind those that actually are trying to live a good Christian life, those that are trying to do the right things, who may unintentionally through their counsel or through their example begin to give us changes to the design of God's marriage. Now, I'm not talking about, when we talk about the well-intentioned, I'm not talking about a wholesale rejection of God's plan, but just minor and small details. And that's where I want to focus this in on threats because the ser most serious threats to your marriage aren't the big things that are out there. We can see very clearly when someone looks at us and says, hey, listen, uh, husbands, don't be the leader in your home. We can look very clearly at God's word and say, well, that goes against God. I'm going to reject that. Or when the, someone out there says, hey, women, you don't need to honor your husband. You need to look at this and that. And we can see a clear contradiction. That becomes very obvious and rejecting it. But it's in the details where small compromises are made that threats really begin to take root in the marriage and cause problems. Think of it this way in construction. It's not that someone forgets to build a load-bearing wall. Very, very, very seldom in, in construction do you see such a major step skipped and left out. But what happens in construction is somebody skipped some detail. They didn't install this piece right, or they used the wrong plumbing here, and it's just some small minor detail that doesn't seem like that big a deal. It just kind of patched over. We get the house built, and it looks great. I've got a good friend who built a house, and they, he built this house back when they started using PEX uh, to plumb the house instead of using copper or uh, plastic. They started using this product called PEX, and it was supposed to be easier to work with, quicker to work with, and last longer lasting. 
I don't know if it's true today, but I know when they first came out with that PEX product, one of the weaknesses of it was if it was left out in sunlight too long, it would become very brittle. And apparently, uh, the PEX that was used in his house had been left out in the sunlight just a little bit too long. Because when they installed it, everything was fine. They finished the house, built the house, moved in, began to enjoy it. And within the first three or four years, they had to go in, cut out all the carpet, rent a jackhammer, break up parts of their foundation to patch that PEX that had broken. You see that little minor detail that was skipped in the very beginning of the construction phase. They didn't cover the PEX like they were supposed to. That minor detail later on began to cause bigger and bigger problems. And that's the same idea I want us to understand when I talk about uh, the voice of our fellow man, the voice of the well-intentioned. It's not people out there that are intentionally trying to destroy your marriage. They're actually maybe trying to help you and give you some good counsel, but may on accident, either through their teaching or on accident through their behavior, teach something that's not exactly the way God has in mind. And uh, to, to be a little bit more specific and make this uh, understandable, the idea that I want you to see is one of these groups of the well-intentioned could be someone as simple as our parents or the family that came before us. Notice, if you will, a passage here. Now, before we jump over to this passage, I want to say this about this idea of our parents. It's not that they intentionally are trying to hurt people. and I'm not trying to throw your parents under the bus and say they're evil people. They may have, in fact, even had a great and wonderful marriage, a marriage that you look at and say, this honors God. But at the end of the day, here's the reality that I know about your parents because it's true about them, it's true about me, and it's true about you, and it's true about my spouse. And that is that our parents were sinners, and even if they strove to do everything perfectly the way God wants us to, that at the end of the day, they're going to make mistakes. They're not perfect. And notice this example here in 1 Kings 15. Here's what makes following our parents right. It's not following our parents in and of themselves. It's following the plan that they follow. Notice King Asa here as the Bible describes him. It says, King Asa or Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord as did David his father. Down in verse 14 of the same passage, nevertheless Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. You know, it wasn't that this guy never made any mistakes. He did. In fact, if you read between verse 11 and 14, it lists some of the things that he failed to do. And that's why that nevertheless is there in the middle of verse 14. It tells us why Asa was right with the Lord is because his heart was perfect with the Lord. And I find it interesting back in verse 14, it adds that he's right in the eyes of the Lord as David, his father. You know, David technically isn't his father. He's the great, great, I believe that's great, great grandson of King David. Uh, similar statements made about Josiah, who's way on down the list that he did what or he walked in the ways of the Lord as did his father David get the same idea you know what made Josiah what made uh, Asa here right with the Lord isn't that they did everything the way David did it's that they looked at David and said you know he strove to please God I'm going to strive to please God your parents may be great and wonderful and had the most wonderful marriage that you've ever seen and if they did they did that because they followed the building plans of God. And so instead of setting our parents as the gospel or as the source of perfection in marriage, let's not look at them, but let's look to the source they look to, and that is the plan of God. You and I, the same thing. We need to, in our marriages, not look at individuals, but look at the plan of God so that we can be right in the eyes of the Lord, so that our heart, our marriage can be perfect with God not because we followed our parents, but because we followed God's plan. 
you know, as a parent myself with children that are getting older, getting closer to the age of marriage, uh, I can look back at the example that my wife and I have tried to set before them. And we weren't always perfect in those areas that we made a lot of mistakes. And that's not saying that we didn't love God and didn't try to follow his plan. We've been doing that. We're trying to do that. But if our children base their marriage solely off us, they're going to find mistakes in that. And instead of going back and saying, well, my parents had a good marriage. My parents uh, seemed happy and joyful in their marriage. I'm going to try to be like them. That's not God's design. God's design is that he's laid forth, that his standard becomes the perfect, perfect model that we strive to follow. A second example of this uh, voice of the well-intentioned that I think uh, may grab us and get us in trouble today is what I would call uh, these religious books. I have nothing against these books on marriage. I think they're great. They're, most of them, uh, not most of them, I own quite a bit of them. But I want you to know 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, if you go into a bookstore, a religious bookstore such as Mardell's, and you start looking for books on marriage, there's just a ton of books written by men about what makes marriage great and what you need to do for marriage. And listen, I'm not throwing any of those. I'm not throwing your parents under the bus. I'm not throwing any of these religious writings under the bus. I'm saying this. We need to be careful that they don't become the gospel of what makes a godly marriage. They're not the architects. Every one of these books have been written by mankind, and that's what, is what that verse in 1 John is telling us, is that we need to take that and test that, not against does it make us feel good, not do we like it, but what does God say? That's the ultimate standard. That's the ultimate building plan. There's a lot of those books that are out there that are very popular and very good, but if you're not careful with them, they can cause problem, more problems in your marriage than they actually solve. I want to just list a couple. And again, I'm not throwing in any of these. Most, uh, actually, I've read every one of these that I'm going to mention. I've read and found a lot of great usage out of some of these things. But there's some dangers with some of them as well. For example, one of the most popular books out there uh, is called His Needs, Her Needs. And that's a, it has a lot of great teachings about the needs of each spouse in a marriage uh, that are based out of the Bible. And what all these books have in common is that they try to explain or apply biblical principles. Now, they may get it right. They may get it wrong. But we need to be willing to examine it. And, for example, this book, His Needs and Her Needs, if you're not careful, you can walk away from that book after reading it thinking that recapturing the emotion of being in love is foundational to a solid biblical marriage. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with the emotion of being in love. It's an important part of marriage. But God doesn't say, hey, listen, you need to feel right about your marriage. And you need to always have these warm, flutterly feelings in your heart for your spouse. God doesn't say that. Now that's not what the book is pushing, but it's possible to walk away with that idea. Another one that's out there, probably one of my favorite books, is called Sacred Marriage. That I think does a really good job on addressing uh, some issues in marriage and understanding it, but it has a foundational problem if you're not aware of, can lead you off into some areas that God didn't design. And that foundational problem is this it's built on the assumption that the purpose of marriage is simply to sanctify you and make you holy. That sounds great, sounds wonderful. The trials and struggles, the way that you respond in marriage is built to make you more and more like Christ. And that sounds like a good premise until you realize marriage existed in this world before sin did. So if the only purpose of marriage is to sanctify and make someone holy, what then was the purpose of Adam and Eve's union of two becoming one flesh? There's a foundational problem that if you don't stop and look at, it can lead you down a path that's not completely the path of God. 
Another one that's out there that's uh, very popular is called uh, The Five Love Languages. And another really good book that has some really great teaching about understanding and getting to know your spouse and, and looking at life through their eyes. But if not careful, if taken to an extreme, the concept behind the five love languages can lead a couple into a codependent relationship where one spouse's happiness and joy and contentment in that relationship is dependent upon their other spouse meeting their needs. And certainly that's not a biblical principle that I, my happiness in the marriage is completely dependent upon the spouse. Bible teaches that the only person that can meet every need you have isn't your spouse, but is God. And so while there's nothing wrong with that book, we need to be careful taking it to extreme because it's not the gospel. It's not the ultimate architect behind God's design. The last one I might mention is uh, love and respect. And the idea behind love and respect is that what women desire and crave most is love and what uh, husbands desire and crave most is respect. And if you're not careful with this book, it's possible to lead, walk away from reading that book with the idea that, hey, if I'll fulfill my role in this marriage, if I'll love my wife enough and do a good enough job loving her, I can trick her, manipulate her, force her into giving me what I want, respect. And that's not what the whole purpose of the book, and I'm not saying that's the only idea that's there, but it's possible for that to go. And I think you could do that with any writing written by men because it's not written from the throne of heaven. The ultimate standard on marriage isn't what man has said, but what God has said. And again, I'm not trying to throw these books under the bus. A lot of great things have come out of them, a lot of good teaching that we can go back to the Scriptures and find, but that's the key. When we listen to these voices, whether it's the well-intention of our parents or the well-intention of these religious books, if we're not contrasting that back and letting God's standard be the ultimate standard for our marriage and what I'm supposed to do in that marriage, then it's going to lead to a problem. You see, a lot of the, the, the ideas that are out there today is that uh, whether it comes from the voice of the world or pop culture or even some of these religious books, there's this idea out there that marriage is a 50-50 partnership. That's taught a lot over and over throughout the world and in subtle ways and in direct ways. But I want you to know the Bible never teaches that. Here's what God says about the partnership or what I would say is your responsibility in the marriage. Beginning here in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So men ought to, well, we're having a little bit of problems. So men ought to love their wives, as their own self, that he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and members of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall I men leave father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you particular so love his wife, even as himself, and see the wife see that she reverences her husband. Notice, if you will, in this passage here, 
this longer reading, God lays out a, a, a very general overview. Husbands, you are to love your wives. You are to serve your wives. That's what God tells you to do. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. You are to show your husbands honor. That's the job that God gave you to do. Now notice, nowhere in there did God say, husbands, love your wives if your needs are met. Husbands, love your wives only when they speak your love language. Husbands, love your wives if this or if that. He didn't say that. He says, husbands, love your wives, period. That's your job, and it's not dependent upon what my spouse does. Wives, it doesn't tell you to submit and to honor your husband only if he meets the needs and makes you happy and cause, is the source of your joy in your marriage. That's not God's design. And what God's design is is that you as an individual are 100% committed to him and committed to his plan and you fulfill your role, not because your spouse meets your needs or makes you happy or any of that thing. You fulfill your role in the marriage because God said so. That's God's design. Now, we'll come back to that and talk about how in doing that, typically our needs are met when both people are functioning the way God wants them to. We do get our needs met. But the goal of the marriage isn't to have my needs met and make sure everything that I want is being done. My focus, as we're fixing to look at here a little bit more closely, is to serve someone else. You see, when I listen to the voice of the world, whether it's those that are anti-God, those that are well-intentioned, or even uh, the, such as my parents or these religious people, I can walk away thinking marriage is about give and take, 50-50, that I only give as I receive and I return as I've been blessed. And the Bible doesn't teach that concept. And that's a threat to our marriage when we begin to buy into those ideas that say, listen, it's all about me in this marriage. And that really begins to show you and I the last voice that I want to talk about that is a threat to marriage. And I would say this, it's probably the greatest threat to your marriage, and that's simply listening to my own voice. That is the most dangerous voice. And when I say listening to my own voice, I don't mean listening to me as I talk about your marriage. I'm talking about you and listening to your own voice. Listen, Proverbs 21 and verse 2, the Bible says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Listen, if I'm being honest with myself, I think I'm right. That's the reason I do the things I do is because I think it's the right way to do them. It's the right thoughts to have. And I can have those thoughts and begin to say, well, you know, listen, the reason I think I'm right is because I based my thoughts off of God's Word. And suddenly I become the expert and I become to that point where I'm no longer willing to hear instruction or correction. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about, uh, about verse 13, how a poor and wise child is better than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. And we've got to be careful that lest we set ourselves up as the expert on marriage instead of being humble enough to go back to God because my voice, my views can get in the way and compromise the plan of God. And God warns you and I, he says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's Isaiah 5. That just because I think I'm right, because I think I've got it all figured out, sets me up to be in a very dangerous situation, sets me up to be in a very dangerous place that if I don't recognize my own self as being one, that a voice that I'm listening to that doesn't quite get what God is telling, that I can't be instructed in that, that I'm setting myself up for danger. Just as listening to the religious books, the parents, pop culture, or those in the world, I can listen to myself as much 
and think, I've got it all figured out. And I can tell my spouse, this is what you're supposed to be and this is what you're supposed to do without letting God be the source and the author of it. Not what I think God says, not what I think God means by that, but allowing God himself to speak and say, this is what I want you to do. And here's the reason why I believe listening to my own voice is the most dangerous voice that I can listen to, and you listening to your own voice is the most dangerous voice, is because when we begin to focus on ourselves, when we begin to think that we've got it all figured out, what that typically leads to is a whole lot of selfishness. And here's what I mean by selfishness in a marriage. When we begin to focus only on ourselves, it creates in you and I this idea of I get to focus on my wants and my needs, that I've got it all figured out and I've got it figured out in a way that satisfies me so that I get what I want. Yeah, I might have a few difficulties here and there, but ultimately it's about me. And all too often people enter into marriage thinking marriage is all about them and getting what they want and having their happiness and their joy and all of those things that's me, 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 self-centered, self-focused. And I want to tell you, God doesn't teach that. Now, someone might look at that and say, well, now, wait a second, Mike. Doesn't Genesis 2 and verse 18 say that our spouses were given them to uh, as a helpmeet? For example, Eve was made for Adam. The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet or an aid, as Dustin uh, explained to us last week. And certainly that's true. Our mates are to aid us. But I want to tell you something about being an aid. Just because you have an aid doesn't mean that you get to be the center of the universe and that everything that aid does is about your needs. Think about that for a second. When you consider this word help meet or help, is, uh, which means aid, is used to describe God being our help. In Psalms 33 and verse 20 and many other passages like that, it simply declares the Lord is our help. Well, he's our aid. Does that mean that everything God does is about me and that I get to be so focused and require of God and say, God, this is how I want you to meet my needs. God, this is how I want you to do things. Certainly, we don't get the right to tell God how to do things and how to, to meet our needs. God's going to give us aid in the way that's best for you and I. And just because our spouses are an aid doesn't mean that we get to be self-centered, that it's all about ourselves. And secondly... A reality that we have to accept and acknowledge is that we can never force our spouses to do something from the heart to meet our needs. Listen, God never tells husbands, husbands, you make your wives submit. You do whatever it takes to make sure they show you that respect. The Bible never says, God never says to wives, listen, you can manipulate, you can twist, you can turn, do whatever you have to do to make sure your husband loves you and serves you. God never tells you that. God tells you, wives, listen, you submit and you serve, or you submit and honor your husband, period. That's it. He tells husbands, you love your wives, you serve your wife. That's what you're to do. And it's not about having your needs met. If you'll notice, it's more about what God's design in marriage isn't about a selfish focus, but it's a service-based focus. Here's your focus in marriage. Here's your goal. Here's your job is to meet the needs of your spouse. It doesn't say the job, the focus of your marriage is to have your needs met, but rather just the opposite, to be a servant to your spouse. Not because they're worthy, not because they've earned it, not because they've done things for you. You do that regardless because God said. It's not about having your needs met. It's about needing the needs of other people. Isn't that kind of what Jesus taught? Uh, Bible quotes him in Acts, I believe, about verse 20 or chapter 20, about verse 34, 35 in there 
where it quotes the words of Jesus that aren't recorded in the gospel when it said, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. That same principle is true in marriage. It's about you giving, about you serving. I want to illustrate this principle by looking at a passage here. If you have a Bible open still or if you want to look on the screen here, we're going to go to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here, if you'll notice this passage, beginning there in verse 3. Let the husbands render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife to the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not the other, except it be for consent for a time, that ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now notice in this passage here, speaking of this physical relationship between husband and wife, what God says. That the husband is to focus on his wife and the wife to the husband. In fact, it says you don't even have power or authority of your own body, but your spouse does. It's not about your needs. It's not about you getting what you want, but it's about your spouse. That's to be your focus. In fact, so important is this, he goes on to say, you can't defraud, you can't withhold this from one another except with consent. So if there's going to be a pausing in this uh, giving here that we're to do, you can't just unilaterally decide, you know what, I'm not going to do that for my spouse anymore. The Bible says it has to be with consent, that this is something you and your spouse sit down and talk about. That's God's design here, is that your focus isn't on yourself and your needs in marriage, but your focus is on the needs, the desires of your spouse. And this principle doesn't just apply here to the physical relationship, but in every area of your marriage, every need that your spouse have, every way that you can be their aid, that's what God has called you to do. Not calling you to have your needs met, but to meet the needs of another. Now, here's the amazing thing, that when we follow God's plan, what happens is that by serving my spouse the way God has called me to, whether that's to love her and serve her, whether that's to uh, submit and honor my husband. When I do that and not focus on my needs, but focus on their needs, an amazing thing happens that I get my needs met. Consider this passage in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. There God begins talking about the church. In verse 11, he talks about he gave some apostles, some prophets, etc., etc. And the reason he gave them, he begins to talk about that. But notice in verse 16 what he says about this church or this body. It says, from the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make us increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. The point that he's making here is that when the body functions the way God designs it to function, every part of the body gets what it needs from the other parts of the body. That principle is true in my marriage. When I function in the marriage, the way God designed me to function in that marriage, I'm going to get back what I need from that marriage, from that relationship. And what's really funny to me, kind of ironic, if you will, is that when people refuse to focus on meeting the needs of their spouse, but rather focus on selfishness and listening to their own voice, what typically happens is those people become very frustrated, very upset because they don't have their needs met. In fact, it's very highly likely that their needs aren't getting met because they're focused too much on their needs, not being a servant to their spouse. God's design isn't for you and I to look at, at marriage and say, it's all about me. Now, I want to say this as we kind of uh, begin to wrap up here. Selfishness in your marriage, listening to your own voice, isn't something that's going to creep in in the big things of your marriage. 
Nobody builds a house and forgets to put on the roof. Oh, we forgot the roof. That's a pretty big deal that has to be part of the building. But it's in those small compromises that we talked about. And I want to tell you, that's where selfishness, listening to your own voice, begins to creep into your marriage is in those small compromises. And what I mean by that is if you're selfish in the day-to-day mundane activities of your marriage in daily life, guess what? It won't be long before you're selfish in whether you love your spouse, whether you serve your spouse, whether you submit to your spouse, whether you honor your spouse. But if you learn to serve in the mundane day-to-day areas of your marriage, it won't be long before you find yourself being a servant in the big things of your marriage. So that's where the threats are at, listening to the wrong voice down to the very details of God's plan. That I don't listen to the world. I don't listen to the well-intentioned. I'm not being mean to anybody, but I don't listen to the world. I don't listen to the well-intentioned. I don't listen to myself. That threat to marriage, to God's design, is any voice that's not his. I have to and my spouse has to commit to being 100% committed to our marriage God's way that he is the final authority and I'm going to do what he called me to do regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I want, regardless of how my spouse is responding. I am committed to God and I am committed to his plan for this marriage. To protect our marriages, that's what we have to do. That's not going to happen by accident. If you think back to our first verse, Psalms 127, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, or they that build it labor in vain. You know, it takes work to have a good marriage. It takes work. It takes labor. And I'm going to sum it up by this way. If you want a better marriage, the number one thing you can do is become a better servant of God. Become a better Christian. Continue to grow more and more into the image that God called you to be, to be the spouse that God called you. Not, not, listen, help your spouse, encourage your spouse, love them, support them to do the same thing, but don't make your commitment to becoming a better Christian dependent upon what your spouse does. You want a better marriage? You focus on you becoming the person that God called you to be, and that'll protect your marriage against the threat of listening to the wrong voice. God bless you. Thank you again for being with us today. Pray that the things that we've studied will give you and your spouse a launching point to begin discussing uh, the threats and whether or not you actually both are tuned into that voice of God. If you've joined us this morning and you've got a spiritual need, I wish that we could be together, that we could provide love and comfort, strength one another in that immediacy. We can't do that today. But if you have that spiritual need, I want you to know we have uh, Brother Bruce Kessler, Brother Mark Woody, Brother Craig Hayes, Brother Glenn Taylor, the elders of this congregation. And it doesn't matter if you're here in Norman or if you've joined us from Tennessee or New York or Singapore. If you'd like to talk to one of those individuals, they would love to find a way to sit and visit with you and try to provide for you the counsel of God to meet the spiritual need that you have. We have a Savior that heals even today. And if you'd like to take advantage of that, I want to encourage you to do that. If you have that spiritual need, before you call them, let me encourage you to do one last thing. When you click off this video, you and your spouse stop, close your eyes, and humble your hearts and take your needs to our Heavenly Father. He'll hear you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then call one of these men, call one of our elders to help provide that counsel. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com